The waters of the Jordan River fall from Jesus' head. The looks of awe beam freshly on the eyes of the people who've just heard a voice from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The gasps and whispers and excited conversations about the Spirit's dove-like presence resting on Jesus fill the air on the banks of the Jordan. As the crowds who witness Jesus' baptism prepare themselves for what will come next. Coming up out of the water and into affirmation of his identity as God's son, surely Jesus is about to begin his reign of power and authority. Can't you just feel the excitement about what will come for Jesus and for God's people? Maybe this one, God's beloved, will be the long-awaited Messiah and will be the one who will do something for God's people even now. But scripture tells us that with his body still damp and his hair still dripping from coming up out of the waters, Jesus is led up into the wilderness. He's not led up to a throne of prominence. He's not led up to a seat of authority. He has led up into the wilderness a place of wondering and trial and temptation and need. And there he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, like his people throughout the generations, goes through the waters of restoration, redemption, and release and encounters the challenge of the wilderness. You remember the journey of God's people out of Egypt, right? When Pharaoh finally let God's people go, they came to the waters and eventually traveled through them before entering a wilderness land. They followed God through the sea and into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God's people wandered for 40 years. The journey to the land that God had promised could have been, perhaps should have been, much shorter. Yet because of the people's failures and unfaithfulness, because of their quarreling and testing of God, their journey to the promised land spanned more than a generation. In the wilderness, the people complained. They fed on bread from heaven. They turned to idols and they turned back to God. They trusted their leaders and they doubted them. So God's people knew what it was like to be led through the waters of affirmation and then into wilderness land. Through his 40-day fast in the wilderness, Jesus symbolically reenacts the journey of God's people. And through his fast, he aligns with God's prophets and leaders from before, leaders like Moses and Elijah, who also fasted 40 days prior to receiving instruction and commission from God. Jesus is thoroughly part of God's continued faithful presence for and with God's people of Israel. And like God's people before him, 
Jesus travels the road of freedom and life with God into the wilderness. Like God's people before us, we too travel the road that leads to the wilderness. I suspect you've had wilderness experiences in your life. Maybe coming up from the waters of blessing and affirmation, your journey unexpectedly has taken you up, not to the mountaintop or to some other high place, but into the wilderness. Maybe your wilderness times have come immediately following a time of affirmation, a, bl a blessing, a time when you very least expected it. Maybe after you crushed that midterm or after you are finally able to retire or after that new relationship that you've been longing for has just begun or after you have been reconciled with a long estranged friend or after your child was finally born or after you got that promotion that you had been striving for or after you had kicked the habit that had been harming you for so long. After these good and blessed things, you encountered a place of challenge and trial and barrenness. You too know what it's like to journey into the wilderness. And if the wilderness itself were not a challenge enough, the nearly starving Jesus comes face to face with the tempter. This wilderness journey is not a safe one, and it's not for the faint of heart. Jesus's journey is marked by temptation. His temptations are absolutely common, and yet they are particular to him. It's as if the tempter is working from a playbook that impacts all of humanity, but that is designed especially for this encounter with Jesus. Jesus is tempted three times, once related to provision, once related to prominence, and once related to power. Provision, prominence, and power. Jesus is hungry, he's needy, he is so human. The scriptures tell us that the devil, the tempter, the accuser, Satan, comes to Jesus in his time of need and presses in on him. You're the son of God, aren't you? So do something about your need. Provide for yourself. Of course, there's no fault for Jesus being hungry, and there's nothing wrong with satisfying the need for provision by eating. But Jesus senses the trap of this temptation. He recognizes where the path created by trusting in one's own devices will eventually lead. And he sees how in this moment, satisfying a very natural and human need would develop a habit of misdirected trust for him. The tempter moves from the need for provision to the desire for prominence. Like being hungry, there is nothing wrong with Jesus being known for who he is. 
but there is something about needing prominence or prestige or popularity to ensure the truth of one's identity that temptingly leads to harm instead of to health. So the tempter leads Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. They together can see the people gathering and entering the temple. This is surely an opportunity for God's people to see who Jesus really is, for Jesus to be known as God's son. So the evil one says to Jesus, you've heard the voice from heaven announce you as God's son, so let's see if it's true. Put your actions where your words are. Cast yourself down from here so everyone can see the way that you really trust God and see the Lord working on your behalf. After all, the scriptures say God will command God's angels concerning you so you won't even dash your foot against a stone. After this spectacular show, everyone will surely know that you are truly God's son. As an aside, isn't it clever, maybe even crafty, how the tempter uses a shallow, if not literalistic, reading of scripture to try to trip Jesus up? Perhaps a shallow reading of scripture is ripe for use in tempting people toward false action and belief. The devil proof texts a promise from Psalm 91 and uses it to try to make Jesus fall. Perhaps such a use of scripture even happens among us today, causing harm for God's people and for those who do not yet know God. It is no doubt a prayer required and a spirit-inspired task to hear the word of God through the scriptures rather than hearing the word of temptation. So we must beware of how we use the Bible as we pursue faithfulness together. But I digress. For a third time, the devil plays on Jesus' natural and good inclinations in an effort to lead him astray. This time, the tempter attacks Jesus' commitment to care for and guide all the kingdoms and peoples of the world. Jesus surely knows that with power in his hands, he can accomplish the good he dreams of and is destined to impact in the world. Accumulating Mobilizing and utilizing power is how things seem to get accomplished in this world after all. So if Jesus wants good to come, why not have all the power given into his hands anyway? So again, the tempter comes saying, I'll give you all the kingdoms that you can see from this high place. Just a little compromise is all I ask. Wouldn't you be willing to do anything to accomplish the good you desire? To have your reign? To have the power you need to accomplish good in the world? Look at all you could do. Look at all you could accomplish if you would simply bow to me, even 
if just for a moment. Jesus's temptations are temptations common to humanity. Temptations connected to provision and prominence and power impact us all. It is important to recognize that provision, prominence, and power are not wrong in and of themselves. After all, it's not wrong to want your needs to be provided for, to have food security and housing stability and good health. It's not wrong to want to be known for who you are and to desire the kind of prominence that would allow you to live into what and who you are called to be. And it is not wrong to be able to impact the world for good, to have the power to stop gun violence and end the murders in Durham, to have the power to ensure living wage jobs for everyone to work, to have the power to provide quality education for all of our children. Yet the story of Jesus's temptation reminds us that these good ends must come by good and right means. The great temptation for us is to turn away from a deep trust in God that is the means to these good ends. The tempter desires to wreak havoc on God's good world and God's good plans for individuals and communities and all the earth. So the tempter offers alternatives to trusting God because choosing lesser means will eventually result in lesser ends that do not bring glory and honor and praise to God. Ultimately, these alternative means and ends diminish our connection with and the worship of our Lord. So we are tempted to trust in our own ability to provide for ourselves make these rocks into bread. And we are tempted to trust, to test God's promises, even simplistic understandings of these promises, to prove our own worth. Do this or that dramatic act so everyone can witness your trust and God's faithfulness in taking care of you. And we are tempted to vie for and accumulate power at any cost perhaps compromising with evil in order to achieve what we want and in effect making a deal with the devil. In doing this, we betray our trust in and upon God for a trust in more immediate, expedient, and visible options. Just bow down to me. I will give you all these kingdoms. With all this talk of temptation, we may have forgotten a crucial component of Jesus's wilderness temptation story. Jesus didn't simply decide for himself to go into the wilderness, and that though no other person was with him, Jesus was not alone. What we must remember is the presence and the activity of the Spirit with Jesus in the wilderness. The Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted, but the Spirit doesn't leave him there in the wilderness alone. 
by the grace and the power of the Spirit, Jesus plants his feet on the solid ground of trust in God. By the grace and the power of the Spirit, Jesus remembers the story of his people and allows the scriptures to speak rightfully, rightly and truthfully in opposition to the devil's false use of the same. Three times Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, remembering God's faithfulness and promises and commands to God's people as they were on their journey in the wilderness. By the grace and the power of the Spirit, Jesus has the assurance of his identity in God's declaration without needing to put God on trial. And by the grace and the power of the Spirit, Jesus has the ability to trust and the courage to walk in God's will and way, in God's reign and rule, which is to say, in God's kingdom. The Spirit did not leave Jesus alone in his time of trial. And the Spirit will not leave us alone in our times of trial. The resource present with Jesus is also present with and in us. In our baptisms and by God's grace, we receive the Spirit, the Spirit that journeys with us in all our wilderness wanderings, in all our times of trial and temptation, in all of our lives. It is good news that the Spirit is present for us and with us when we are tempted to think that we should and can trust in our own abilities and strengths. It's good news that the Spirit is present for us and with us when we are tempted to believe we need to prove our identity and worth as God's children by somehow achieving prominence and prestige and popularity. It is good news that the Spirit is present for us and with us when scriptures are glibly used for harm instead of for faithfulness. It is good news that the Spirit is present for us and with us when we feel compelled to compromise with evil for expedient's sake, even if to achieve something good ultimately betraying our worship of God. This is all good news because it means the trials and temptations that we experience do not need to finally trip us up or make us fall. By the grace and the power of the Spirit, we are enabled to be rooted and grounded in a deep trust of God and God's good ways in the world that allows us not to finally succumb to temptation. Jesus walks the wilderness way and passes through a time of trial and temptation. And then God's angels come to wait on him, providing for him those necessities of life that he was so desperate for. Eventually, Satan flees and God's promises are made sure. Eventually, temptation will come to an end and God's promises will endure. Jesus remains rooted and grounded in his trust of God and God shows up to provide 
just what Jesus needs. The God who was proven trustworthy by providing for the people of Israel in their wilderness wandering proves God's self again to be trustworthy in the wilderness for Jesus. And this same God will prove to be trustworthy for you and and for me in and through our times of temptation and trial. Knowing this to be true, I leave you this morning with this exhortation from Proverbs chapter 3 that is rooted and grounded in God's faithfulness and is enabled by the Spirit's presence with and in you today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and God will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be for the healing of your flesh and for the refreshment of your body. Amen.